The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2016, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon is from Saturday, June 4th. Developing the Savor Menu, presented by Adam Doyle from the Brewers Association, Steve Wildy from the Vetri family, and Kyle Mendenhall and Steve Brandt from Free State Brewing Company. All right, everybody, as we wait for people to trickle in, I'm going to get started. I'm very happy to welcome you all tonight to Developing the Savor Menu. These gentlemen up here are fully responsible for all the fantastic pairings that you're going to get to have this evening. I'm going to start off to my left with Steve Brott. Oh, no, I dropped my card. (laughs) Steve is a board member of the Brewers Association who is in charge of our events and our government governance committee, which is much more exciting than that part sounds. Um, <laughs> he is also the director of brewing operations at Free State Brewing in Kansas. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the largest brewery in Kansas? Mm, uh, depends on the day. All right. <laughs> to his left, we have Steve Wilde. He is the director of oper- operations and the beverage director for the Vetri family up in, or Vetri family restaurants up in Philadelphia. If you've ever been before, they have some very fantastic places up there and they are, I believe, expanding as well. He has been with them for 10 years. Um, Fun fact, born and raised in Northern Ireland and his favorite color is green. No doubt. Not related. His left? (laughs) He lied to me. To his left is Kyle Mendenhall. He is a consulting chef for the Brewers Association. You may also recognize him from his television show on PBS. He's the star of Backcountry Gourmet. He spent eight years as the executive chef for all of the kitchen restaurants, which is located in Boulder, Colorado. And then last but certainly, yes, yeah. I'm not there anymore. (laughs) Last but certainly not least, we have Adam Dooley. Adam is the executive chef for craftbeer.com and the Brewers Association. He has an amazing history of helping to promote craft beer and food pairings. He's done two beer dinners at the James Beard House in New York. Three, he has done three beer beer dinners at the James Beard House in New York. And he has been working to really expand things, not just in the United States, but around the world. Most recently, he was just in Paris where they had a beer beer and food dinner there. So, very excited to let these guys tell you all about how they put tonight together. Cheers. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. 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 Sure. You know, I feel like the odd man out a little bit up here because I'm the only brewer and the rest of these guys are food guys. But maybe there's a reason for that because if it wasn't for the beer guys, the food guys would never have gotten interested in what we do. Um, I have been in craft brewing for pushing 30 years now. I, I know it doesn't look it, but um, when I started doing beer dinners and going around and doing tastings places early on, um, you know, I, I, every time I'd go in and I'd have to explain to people why beer goes with food and that, you know, food and beverage pairings are not the exclusive uh, confine of wine. And that beer, in fact, in many ways is more flexible um, and creates greater opportunities for pairing than wine does. And certainly the wide variety of beers that are available to us give us a a very wide palette to work with. Um, You know, you hop a few years later and with the beginning of events like Sabre, with the uh, education of the public and the enthusiasm about craft beer, there came to be a lot of interest in the culinary world and sort of, a, I guess, a resurgence. And I know Adam certainly would have been one of the people that was on the, the forefront of that, of really appreciating the value of, of beer as an, an element at the table. And uh, so it's been really fun to see how this has grown to where now it's, it's just as respectable at the table as anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So Saver's in its ninth year. So I've been with doing stuff with Saver for seven years now. <clears throat> the first two years, um, when it first started out as an idea, it came from, you know, uh, for the Brewers Association, we have a board of directors and the events committee, and that's how this event started. And 
We uh, had a caterer do, do it here at the National Building Museum because you can't really cook here, uh, which presents a good challenge for us, which we like. And the very first year was a menu and that was sent out to the brewers that said, pick your dish. Second year was a little revision. And then the third year, I started getting involved. And as we've progressed forward, uh, we left DC once and went to New York. Um, and then uh, this is our third year back in DC now, uh, after that New York break. Uh, in the last three years, we've really made our leaps forward in what we're doing uh, with the menu, with the progressions, with the pairings. So we're kind of taking a little trip back first really quick. The first beer you're getting right now is Baba from Uinta. This beer was served at Savor a few years ago, uh, not with the dish you're getting, but with the idea behind the pairing. What we wanted to talk to you guys about is where beer pairings have been, where they're at, where they're going, where we place savor, and, and kind of how we do this. So before you eat the um, mushroom uh, riette that's in front of you here, what, the way we write the menu and why I always kind of cringe when people say, oh, you're the one responsible for all this, is it's while I lead a lot of it, there's uh, a lot of us that are part of it. And the way we write this menu is it's a crowdsourced tasting. So back in January, uh, a call goes out, uh, well actually prior to January, there's lottery that starts, then in, once you're selected for the lottery, and for those of you who want to know, there were 330 breweries that entered the lottery to get 60 spots this year on the floor out there. Uh, once you get in, uh, in January you send your beers into Boulder, and then in February, the uh, Tuesday after President's Day, we do a giant crowdsourced tasting in Boulder. And the way we do that is, we put all the beers out and we put a simple tasting sheet out and we say, tell me what you smell, tell me what this tastes like, tell me what you want to eat with this, and tell me what this makes you think about. I don't want you to critique the beer, I don't want you to judge the beer, I don't care if you like it, I don't care if you don't like it, I want a sense of place, I want a feeling, I want emotion. And we've gotten some awesome things. Like two years ago we had this really weird run on triple IPAs here and once somebody wrote down that it made them feel like when they were young and they mowed the lawn and licked a hot lawnmower blade. <clears throat> So childhood memories come back in beer tastings. <clears throat> so then we take that, go through it, and as a group, we highlight keywords, phrases, thoughts, or moments. Take all of those, process them down, and then we start throwing menu items out and revising them from there. And as a quick note, this whole process happens, starts at 8 o'clock in the morning, and the menu is written by 2 o'clock in the morning. We go, we go quick. <laughs> Um, and then we start pairing it up and syncing it out. It's a pretty impressive process though, of how we've been doing it and kind of how everybody gets involved. St and I believe Steve should be here because he's been to all of the savers. He comes to most of the tastings that we do in Boulder and, and has been an uh, integral part of helping push us forward of what we do. Uh, and then we put it out there and we start kind of going with what's happening in, in, the, in the current trends, what's going out there, what we want to see next, and where we want to see people focusing on beer and food. You guys can eat and drink now, by the way. I seem like nobody doing that, so don't feel I was holding you back. It was like a quick pause. Eat, drink, go forth. Uh, but this should, Steve, you want to talk about, because this was kind of your idea of where we were going, like what this should do? Yeah. Um, so I work in a restaurant group in Philly, and we're lucky to have a, a pretty good beer focus at most of the places that run the gamut from doing happy hours with little tastes, little special things with brewers to chat about, up to, you know, we have a fine dining restaurant called Vetri that's, you know, tasting menu only. We'll offer beer pairings there every night. Um, and we just did a big pairing with uh, Sam Caligioni a couple nights ago that a couple, at least a couple of lucky guests in the room were able to go to. Um, uh, and so, you know, Beer pairing is a lot of what we do on a daily basis at the restaurants and um, always like to look at the formula of beer pairing and kind of what leads a tasting, a pairing, uh, how food marries together with beer. And so we talked about this a lot in terms of just what the progression can be in a pairing and where the jumping off points are. I think we all, you know, if you're into thinking about beer and food together, um, complement and cut is something that comes up a lot, and those are great ways to look at pairing, but there's a lot of other things that you can kind of base um, the pairing off and kind of look for ways to jump off it. And this is one that we're calling the gimme pairing, which is just you look at the two things together and you're like, that's gonna be good together. You know, and so any pairing menu, in my eyes, and I'm all about challenging and all about conversation pieces and think pieces when it comes to matching beer with food, but there should always be something that's just like, that's gotta be good together. And this is very much that idea where it's umami, roasted mushroom, 
big, soft, kind of unctuous flavors with a little bit of like an earthy backbone to it. Paired alongside a beer with tons of umami as well from roasted malt, um, smoke to it as well. Um, so you look at these two things together and they just look like they're gonna be good side by side and you taste them together and that happens. And again, so the, the challenging notion of pairings is something we'll get into as we taste through a couple of other things here. And I hats off to Adam and Kyle for what they do at this event. If you walk around tonight, I think you'll see there's a good share of gimme pairings out there where you look at them and like, that's gonna be good, I can't wait to try it. And then there's a lot of stuff out there that's a little bit more along the lines of, let me think about these two things together for a minute. Let me think about what's happening um, as you try them together. Um, so gimme pairing, number one. Um, one, of, you know, one of the gimme pairings I think that gets a lot of heat in the, uh, the beer world right now is the imperial stout and chocolate cake thing, but I, I want to be careful not to discount the importance of those little gateway moments when you're getting into beer and food together. After you've done it for a while, it's like anything else where the things that seem commonplace become kind of old hat, but you know, for somebody in the restaurant business, I'm always looking for those little ways that you can catch somebody's attention and you can say, you know, have you had these th two things together? No, great, let's try them. Again, imperial stout and chocolate cake, it's like, gimme, it's gotta be good. By the way, as we're doing this, if you guys have questions, comments, conversation, we really want this to be kind of a back and forth, like what do you guys wanna know? What do you wanna talk about? What do you wanna know? Because between all of us up here, we could go off about so many different things. So if you have them, think about them, raise your hand, somebody's gonna bring a microphone. Yes, we are recording this for craftbeer.com, so if you do not mind waiting for the microphone. As somebody who can't eat mushrooms, uh, my question is what else would you pair this beer with? So I think on the, the next course, you know, something like, so this is, I think, safety pairing and delicious together. Again, all those things that play off one another. One of the things I really like to do with a beer of this style, so lighter in body, but with tons of black, smoky, roasted malts. And I'm curious, you know, unfortunately I don't think we can hold under our glasses, but we're doing a seafood dish for the next round. I love the idea of seafood, especially like skin on fish, like trout, mackerel, herring, sardines are out on the main floor tonight. If you get a chance to, to cruise around and try this incredible sardine dish, which is kind of pushing the boundary a little bit more. Um, there's a unique thing that happens with the smoke and the roast in a black beer like this, when paired with seafood, that really plays off the minerality and the kind of salty note in seafood in a, a brilliant way to me. And it's very unexpected. It's coming from an opposite angle of this gimme pairing. Um, Exactly, yeah. You're talking about the dish with the, the eggs and the sardines? Yep, exactly. That, that was very good. And there's a cool thing that happens to it that, you know, there's a, a gut element, I think, to, to pairing sometimes too, where you think, what am I craving right now when you see a particular dish? And that one to me, so like whitefish in a deli or a diner on a bagel with coffee, it's pretty, pretty awesome together. And so black beer. Paired alongside, <laughs> you guys have white fish and bagels in DC, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, so different angle to the pairing where it's a little bit more unexpected, where you look at two things that maybe don't on the surface look like they belong together, um, but when you taste them together again, you you get that kind of black scorched roasted um, mineral thing that pushes the mineral flavors in a fish forward and also brings it out in the beer. I mean, I I would just say as uh, just to kind of follow up on that, that's the beauty of how we create the menu with the crowdsourcing, you know, information, tasting information is because I'm sitting here, I'm drinking, I'm like, you know, I could see a nice light cucumbery oyster going with it, which, because I like darker beers with, with oysters, it goes kind of to the minerality thing that Steve's talking about. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I would like to try it maybe with the dessert. You know, there's a little bitter element into that. And I'm thinking, you know, I could do a pavlova with like a little pastry cream, something to sweeten it up. And I mean, I am more a food person, so I have that perspective when I'm looking at things. But I mean, that, that just shows the versatility that's out there. Um, it's subjective to who you are and how you're feeling today. Maybe it's just because I haven't had dessert today yet, and I'm thinking I want dessert. So... Um, that's, but, but the way that we form the menu with all that kind of information, that's the beauty of it, is because there's no, there's no one right or wrong answer, right? I mean, that's the whole pairing situation as a whole. It's, um, but uh, anyway, it's fun because, and you know, sometimes you sort of purposely take yourself in a different direction 
you know, and it's that whole, you know, matching or contrasting. They both have good things and bad things involved with that. And, it, you know, is it a bite or is it like a sit down full meal? You know, are you going to have a full glass of this? So all of those things kind of come into play. Um, anyway, that's, that's the beauty of creativity, right? I mean, I also like the box for me as someone who is maybe mildly creative. I mean, that's kind of what I do for a living a little bit. Um, it's nice to have that box where, you know, we're not, we're not judging any of the beers, right? The beers are here. So we're just trying to find things that, that we think and all the people that taste it think are going to go well with it. So, yeah. To piggyback off what you guys are saying, um, you know, I'm not a rookie in the kitchen, but I'm not an expert. But also, I'm not a rookie at beer, but I'm not an expert. Now, I always wanted, similar to wine, is there any kind of general rule of thumb that we can always, you know, look towards, like, when it comes to food and beer pairing? Because that's something that's really new for me regarding how to pair these things. Because similar to wine, there can be a couple rules regarding white and, you know, red going with red meats and so forth. So I don't know if there's anything like a general rule of thumb for a person to start with exploring the world of food and beer pairings. Um, you know, I would, I would say I always kind of think in my mind that things that are good and truly good kind of stand the test of time, right? You know, like I'm not, I'm not going to go in and knock spaghetti and meatballs. I mean, if it's a good spaghetti and meatballs, I mean, there's a reason why those two things go together and why people love them and people's mothers make them, you know, for their children. So even though you say that you're not an expert, you know, you know what you like, at least. You know what a lot of other people like. And it's those things that kind of stand the test of time. You know, do I like to eat a good cheeseburger every once in a while? Absolutely. You know, does that, get, does that mean I'm going to put, you know, an anchovy on my burger? Eh, I don't know. Maybe if I'm in the mood. But I definitely would put some nice sharp cheddar cheese on it. You know, you know, you kind of, whether you realize it or not, you have a good idea. So I would just, you know, it's kind of an inner thing looking at it. And then there's, you know, some very simple basic guidelines that you can follow. Uh, and it kind of starts with what I was saying before. You know, are you trying to sort of match something? Do you want something to match? Or do you want something to highlight a particular flavor? Um, you know, do you want something that has a little bit of texture to it? Uh, because maybe it's something that has a lot of body and you want to break it up. Um, so really so thinking about salt, acid, sweetness, bitterness, and then, and then this sort of umami, right? This kind of fifth sense of taste. I think if you just kind of try to categorize it like that, it makes it much easier to break it down. It doesn't feel as daunting as if you're going to pick the right thing or wrong thing. Right, because I do understand that you have to respect the whole, like, you know, some people are just non-IPA type of people. And so, therefore, you know, I guess you can't rule out an IPA or something that would be generally be period with an IPA if that's what, in terms of food, you have the taste for. So that's why I was kind of like, hey, I wonder if there's some type of rule of thumb, typically, you know, with, hey, do you go with, you know, you know, whether it be a red meat or, you know, or is it just a style of food, but, you know, like you said, to your point that when it comes to beer, I think people may be a bit more selective about what kind of beers they like and that they resonate with more than they would with the type of food because food is, you know, people are a bit more exploratory with that, so. Um. Hold on one second, because everybody wants to drink. <clears throat> so, real quick, and then we're going to get back to that because that's a good thing. So, this is where we start to break the bound. You guys just started this off with a black lager, roasty, dark, you now have a Pilsner in front of you. You don't have food yet it's coming out. There's a reason for that. Everybody take a sip of the Pilsner. And here's the funny thing. You're all going to taste the Pilsner. You're going to taste the crispness. You're going to taste the cleanness. You're going to get the hop pop from the Coronado Seacoast Pilsner and the refreshing bite. So in one sense, we just totally, and this kind of goes into what you're talking about a little bit, which we can get back to in a second. This goes right into debunking the myth of going light to dark, crisp, clean before roasty, malty. As long as you set the palate with what we're talking about for pairings, the order of which you serve the beers does not matter as long as the food works with it and works with the palate. So you just had a black lager, which in age-old history of pairings should be something you have third, fourth course of dessert. You just had it as the first, and now you just had a Pilsner, and everybody should be able to taste all of the properties of this Pilsner. And yet changing the arc of the, the kind of story of the pairing like that really makes a big difference to the engagement level. You know, if you're at a beer dinner, you know, I think the expectation is like, all right, it's a wheat beer with a salad, there's a pale ale with whatever, there's IPA with the entree, and then there's that imperial stout and chocolate at the, the end. So when you're following along, you've already predicted it. You're at a dinner and you're like expecting those things. There's a different level of your interaction and engagement. And, you know, when you're able to build a menu that 
gives a couple of little surprises, creates a couple of unexpected moments, and again, makes that arc more up and down and more kind of head turning, it creates those moments where you can really dial into, okay, something cool is happening with this dish and this beer together. Um, I think this is a great way to do it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with eating your steak first and then having a salad afterwards. I mean, when I'm, you know, in Europe, that's oftentimes you see that. That's how I like to eat at home. Um, so it's kind of the same thing, you know, that you're, that you're seeing with these kind of pairings. I mean, use, you can use the different styles and what it is paired with to sort of, um, like I said, break that mold and kind of mix it up a little bit so that you actually, instead of the end of the meal, you're feeling very heavy with all this heaviness, you actually can end on a lighter note, uh, which is fun. Um, I was just, just to make sure, that I don't know that we fully kind of answered your question. It's a little bit of a bigger question is like what sort of, you know, is there some structure or guideline when you're, when you're thinking about, I don't have a lot of knowledge, but I'm really trying to get a pairing that works. Um, I think uh, at craftbeer.com, there's a bunch of good tools that you can use to look at that. Even just some of the very simple pairing pamphlets that are around and out tonight will give you a, a, at least a kind of a good broad direction. And then you make it your own, you know? I mean, there is no right or wrong. If you taste something and it doesn't work well together, then you don't have to eat it again, you know? So, I mean, try something you, different. <laughs> you, you also mentioned, like, the example of the IPA, which does throw a lot of people off, and, and, and there are the people that are just like, eh, you know, but I don't like hops. Um, hops and malt in beer, and, and the blend of hops, hops and malt in beer is all about balance. And it can be all about balance in the pairing with the food as well. If you put a really outrageously hoppy beer up against a food that can't support it, um, where it's just going to end up, the, the, the food's going to be overpowered, the hops aren't going to have anything to create a balance, either you know, a richness, maybe some fat, um, you know, something that really creates uh, some backbone to stand up against that hop. Well, no, nobody's going to like it that much. But but you can take some really big flavors, whether it's whether it's hops, whether it's malt bitterness um, from from dark beers, um, or other you know some of the crazy flavors that you get out of some of the different sour and and wild beers, and match them up with a food that's you know they're equal. And then you have balance, and, and with those, you can, sort of to what Kyle was saying, you can even move on to the next course and completely shift gears because you haven't overpowered somebody by the things you put together. So real quick, um, who, who in here has had a really bad pairing? Show of hands, who's had a bad pairing? Tonight. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just leave a nice uh, anonymous comment. No. <laughs> um, so the most popular beer style out there right now is IPA. For seven years running right now, it's the most entered style in the Great American Beer Festival. It's also the one that ruins people's palates for getting into beer because everybody thinks it's the most popular, so they have to go try it. IPA is not the gateway beer. <laughs> it's also not the easiest beer to pair with. But it can work. And if you don't like hops and you have an IPA with something that's super simple and clean or enhances the bitter, you're not going to like it. You're not going to go back to it. So one of the things we've started doing is we've moved to not talking about beer styles anymore in restaurants, in what we're doing with craftbeer.com, with the beer and food course, in what we're doing with things at Saber, things at GABF. We're using words. So like if you go into a restaurant and somebody comes up and says, hey, how are you doing? It's um, 92 degrees and about to thunderstorm. Doesn't something that's like crisp, uh, a little bit effervescent, sparkling, finishes slightly minerally sound like a good way to start? Well, you have no idea if I just described a cocktail, a wine, or a beer. And now it's up to us to take you down to what that is. Whereas if I say, would you like to start with a Pilsner? Well, if you were one of those people that had a bad experience with a Pilsner, you're going to be like, oh, God, no. I don't want to do that. I, in your head, you remember, you, all, you always have these bad experiences. It could have been a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when you were a kid or bologna or whatever it is. But you have that bad experience and you remember it. And it's attached to a word, but nobody really knows what a pilsner is if they don't know about beer. But they know what crisp is. They know what sparkling is. They know what minerality is. They know what salt is. And they may or may not like it. And if you use those words, you bring them into this world where they don't have something against it. 
don't have some, you know, if you want to go to an IPA, it's, do you want something florally that finishes a little bit with a little bit of bitter but has this nice pine kind of backbone? It sounds a lot nicer than saying, you want a double IPA? Because <laughs> somebody had a bad experience with it, they're going to be like, uh, no, I don't want that. So that's something we're trying to work on as well, too. <clears throat> Did you want to dovetail off that? Anybody? Well, yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, I want to touch on the the double IPA thing. And as far as rules go on pairings, I think you know that's somewhere where, you know, the beer and food world kind of got into a little bit of hot water, maybe because you know double IPA and IPA in general became like the de facto. This is the beer to pair with so many things. And to me, you know, my own personal preferences, I have a really hard time with IPA. And there's a lot in there. You know, there's sweetness, there's bitterness, there's high alcohol. Sometimes there's a lot that can really you know, there's murky waters when you're playing with a pairing. Um, you know, it became like Asian food was the double IPA pairing. And, you know, maybe 10 years ago when I was first getting into hoppy beers and enjoying them, anytime I had them with Asian food, it would light up my mouth like crazy and it would make it a very, very difficult meal to finish. And I'd want to reach for something like a Pilsner, like a wheat beer. Um, and so I think, again, those rules as to what you should drink with what can be tough to navigate. Double IPA, I have a hard time with anything really other than dessert has been my new campaign is IPA with dessert. And you'll find Adam and Kyle actually put some, some really cool dessert pairings out there with IPA. And when, when they did it, the brewers out there are saying, thank you so much. This is very cool to taste this beer with dessert. Um, That's the other thing. I mean, all, you know, a lot of brewers are getting tired of getting pigeonholed into just very specific things. So, I mean, granted, we take some chances, right? We were sort of pushing the boundaries a little bit. But that sort of freshness and different viewpoints, and especially what Adam was talking about, really um, helps put a different light on it. I mean, you have to be challenged in order to you know, not get stuck in the rut like that. And you can always return to that if that's what you really want. Was there a question? Yeah. I, I apologize. What was your name again? Me? Steve. Steve. Yes. What's that? Steve. Steve, uh, Steve, you hit it right on the head for me. The I've heard a lot about the, the, the stronger IPAs or the, the hoppier beers to go with the like, spicier Asian food. And for me, that just didn't work. And I know it's all very subjective, but it just, like you said, it set the mouth on fire. So it, it, for me, it begs the question of, is, is beer a complement or a contrast? So do you want to accentuate the heat that you're, 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 you're taking in with you know, something super hoppy, or do you want it to be cooled down a little bit? So it, it, my question is, is beer, and I know it's not a necessarily binary answer, but is beer a contrast or a complement to what we're eating? So I think in that case, yes. <laughs> um, so in that case in particular, I think where the, the waters get muddied with IPA and spicy food is that I think hops on their own from just a pure flavor standpoint do work well with Asian flavors. Ginger, scallion, peppers. I think there's a lot in the flavors that you get from spicy food that work beautifully with hops as far as flavor goes. The issue is that alcohol and spice is almost never good together. And again, when, 10 years ago when this became the thing to say IPA and spicy food is great, a lot of those IPAs were higher alcohol at that point. A lot of those IPAs were more driven by bitterness, which doesn't often play well together with spice either. I think now if you look at what's happening in IPA, there's a lot of beers out there that are much more driven by just hop aroma and flavor and not by bitterness, not by alcohol. And I would say that a lot of those beers actually do work fairly well with Asian flavors, with spicy food, um, with hot sauce, things like that. When again, you're looking at just the hop character itself alongside the spice character itself, there's a lot that works. Um, so it's not an easy answer to it, and I think beer works really well in a, a complementary way and in a contrasting way, and I think this dish is a great example of where um, Kyle and Adam have a real knack for just pulling, tugging on little threads in both the beer and the dish, um, where I think this is a very complementary pairing, but when you look deeper into it, you have this gigante bean that provides this really cool starchy backdrop and really allows a lot of... Um, uh, a way for the malt in this Pilsner to project itself. I think if you have this Pilsner just on its own in a vacuum, it's very clean, crisp. You don't really latch onto a lot of the malt character, but the bean in here kind of pushes that forward. And then that little crisp green frisee kind of picks up on the green grassy notes in the Pilsner, 
pulls that forward, and then you have that cool mineral dance between the octopus and the pilsner. Um, and those are things that there's little minute details that these guys have thought about every step of the way on this pairing, where you know, without the green on here, it's a different dish. But they look at it and say, let's add that little snap to it to really complement what's happening in the beer. Bravo. So, yeah. so the next beer you're getting is, uh, so again, we're going completely out of order here um, and working your palate to show you that, you know, we can go around and do this. Um, this is a new beer from Sierra Nevada. This is the Otraves Goza. Um, style that's coming back on. Pilsners are coming back on. Black lagers are coming back on. These are all things that are starting to come back and move around. And this is actually going to go with a dessert uh, that you're going to get here in a minute um, and just kind of move it around. Uh, but again, taste the beer. You're going to be able to taste everything that's in the beer. And one thing that I wanted to touch on really quick too, not only in the menu development process here, but something that's allowing us to do what we're doing and the process that we, of which we go with this is the, the brewer and the chef relationship that we start off with this. So if you remember back to when we started this and I said how we write this menu is the brewers send the beer in and then we taste the beer and then we write the menu from there. So that's, that's a key thing there. We don't have a menu that we think about. We don't have dishes that we think about. If you go into a beer dinner and the chef has a menu written and he says, I want you to pair to this menu, you're not going to have a successful dinner as if you go into it with the beers, what's here, what can we do to highlight this? What do the brewers want highlighted out of that? You know, do you want your hops accented? Do you want the malt accented? Do you want us to hide the alcohol? Do you have a barrel-aged beer that's not uh, been kind of laying down long enough and it's pretty hot? Do we need to hide some of that heat? What can we do to help promote that and talk about that? And, and the relationship that we get into with that, um, with the brewers and going the back and forth on it and kind of going that, we've also built that relationship with chefs and restaurants across the country where it's building those connections and having those conversations about what can we highlight out of the beer, how can we change that? Because the beer is already it. Unless you have a really unique relationship where you're brewing the beer specifically for a dish, the beer's done. Now it's what can we do to make sure it shines. You know, one thing I wanted to get back to with the way Adam has set up the, the sampling process, and, and when he, we first moved that to Boulder, what, three years ago, Adam? Um, I got the chance to come out and participate with that, and I, I made a point to make sure that I was available to be there the next year, uh, because it was a lot of it was a, it was a lot of fun, and it's not just that I like to drink beer, which I do, which comes as no great surprise. But um, another thing that probably comes as no great surprise is I do drink a lot of beer, and I drink it in a a judgmental fashion, whether it's our in-house taste panel, whether it's judging beer at Great American Beer Festival or World Beer Cup or the local homebrew festival, and you know, you look at it and you work around it and you analyze it, and by the time you're done with it, I can find probably a flaw in just about any beer that's set in front of me if, if I look hard enough. Um, the way that Adam has, has taken to approaching it, where it's much more a, I don't know, it's I mean, it's a little bit of a party. I don't want to make it sound like too good a time, but it's a bunch of people walking around from table to table, writing their comments, trying to not to look at what the guy wrote before them uh, to bias them. But it's, 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 it's the emotional response to the beer that's as important as the technical response to the beer. And it's that response that says, this reminds me of you know, a campfire when I was three, you know, three years old out in, in the country somewhere, or uh, the, the, the smell of the roses on the day that I got married, or what, you know, whatever it is that you tie that to. And that's what you probably want your dinner to be like. If you're going to set up a food and beer pairing, or a, a beer dinner, you're expecting to probably have your, your friends or your customers come in and have a good time. That's kind of what this is all about, is about having a good time and an enjoyable emotional experience. So I always try to caution people not to get too wrapped up in the technicality of the process, but sometimes to go ahead and trust the emotion that comes out when you first try that and you think, yeah, you know, this is, this is cool. I think this would work. Sometimes it's good to just go with that and trust the emotional reaction that you have um, to that beer and food combination. I would, I would back up with 
what Steve is saying. You know, for me, um, big surprise, I'm not very technically geeked out on beer. And I think I, I have this really nice ability to approach the situation of just simply what, what, what's going to taste good with this or what do I want to eat with this. And that, um, for me, having done several wine dinners throughout my career, is what I really love about beer is, is that approachability factor, right? There's, there's not, it's okay if you don't know all the technical terms and it's okay if you don't do that. And so when we're actually making a menu for savor, I think it really, we try to incorporate that a little bit. And that's sort of the origin of where the menu comes from is, is you know, it's approachable. And for me and what I, what I do for savor and helping out the BA, that's, that's a big campaign for me. Um, because I've been in enough restaurants for a long enough time where, you know, people feel uncomfortable because they don't understand what region this comes from and, and whatever. And the, the crazy thing is, is, all that happens in beer and it's totally just as technical, but somehow it always has this real approachable sort of outcome. And, and that's also the kind of food that I like to cook, right? I don't, I, don't, I'm, I don't make food that makes people feel uncomfortable when they come into, you know, my restaurant. Right? I want them to feel at home, I want them to feel comfortable. And feeling special and feeling well taken care of is not necessarily fancy or anything like that. I mean, there's a time and a place for those things. So for, for me, when I'm going through and, and helping and playing the small part that I play in, in pairing the menu, those are the things that I try to hold on to because I think that's a very unique quality that, that beer has. And it also helps out with things like when you're trying to figure out, you know, what's right and what's wrong, right? It's it's a little it's a little looser, and therefore, you know, the possibilities are much bigger and broader. And it also goes back to this, you know, is it to complement? Is it to contrast? Well, you know, the truth is, for me, I mean, it, it can it kind of can be whatever. I mean, and I think it also means are you having just a taste with it, or are you actually sitting down and you're drinking a full bottle of beer, or you're sharing a 750 with you know, hopefully someone, um, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, but all of, all of that changes it. And, you know, and I, I don't want to, I mean, you know, we kind of get in this thing always where it's sort of like, oh, beer, wine, beer, wine. But the truth is, is that what we're doing on the food end is we're trying to elevate the quality and, and the approach to pairing food with beer instead of just it being an afterthought. And the reason why that's important to us is because it does have an approachability factor, and, and it actually even comes down to things like prices and whatnot. I mean, I always tell people like, hey, you know, you can probably get the, the quote-unquote best beer on, on any one of the menus, and you, you can spend like 30 bucks. Like, if you want to get the best wine, it could be, you know, a thousand bucks. And that, that's an approachability issue. So that's the beauty we, of we it. We really have to work on that as brewers. I want that box. Yeah, great. Yeah, next year all these beers are going to come out yeah. way expensive. Gone. Actually, uh, the, uh, that kind of, you know, how we go about it, how we get there, where we're going. Oh, did you have another one? Go ahead. Go, go, go. Um, you might have covered this earlier, actually. I sure. just my part, most likely missed it. But like, when it comes to an event like Sabre, um, do, do you guys like kind of approach it where you select the breweries and then come up with the food menu and then do the pairing, or you come up with the food menu first and kind of helps with the brewery selection? So I, it's all it's all beer first and then the menu later. <clears throat> um, it's a lottery system. 330 breweries into the lottery this year for 60 spots. They get to fully pick their beers. Um, we have yet to date actually ask for another beer. We kind of have a number in the back of our head of when we're going to hit this based on styles. Like if you look at this year, top of my head, we have uh, 19 barrel-aged, 23 IPA, 13 double IPA, and about um, a little, right around 20 barrel-aged on the floor out there right now. Well, let's say that's skewed and we had 47 IPAs. We would probably go back to some brewers and be like, hey, just to let you guys know we've got 47 IPAs on the floor right now. If you don't want to change, totally fine. We're still going to crush it. But if we would like to get some more variation out on there. For what we do, it's about promoting what our members, what the brewers want to showcase, what they want to pour. And one thing that we wanted to touch on, which is a good segue for this as well, too, is, and this presents us with a really fun challenge every year, too, is that uh, as we've gotten better every year, particularly in the last three years, more and more brewers are brewing one-off beers just for savor or using savor to release beers which can sometimes complicate things if you can't taste a beer or when you say, hey, what's this taste like? And they say, I don't know. 
I was wondering uh, about that. Yeah, I was wondering about that. that so yeah, there were um, uh, this year, and I, you know, I'm yeah. trying to remember. There were probably about, I think there were about um, 20 to 23 out of the 176 beers that we were not able to taste this year. And we started communications with the brewers, said, what do you think this is going to do? Where is it going to hit on the palate? What's it going to do? What do you want to see highlighted with it? You know, there's some, there's some good examples out there, and there's some crazy ones that are out there as well, too. You know what? Those are absolute fun because it allows us to push what we're going to do on the menu. Um, you, as all the people coming in as uh, guests at Saver, have put your trust in us in the last several years to push the menu forward, to push the pairings, to challenge your palates. You've empowered the brewers to want to release beers, to make one-off beers, to use this as a special thing to try because you guys have shown that you want to come in and try it. And that's awesome, and that provides us with a good challenge and a good thing to grow on. You know, where's the saver menu going to go next? We don't know. You know, every year it's a completely different menu. Um, <laughs> out of the last three years, it's very safe to say that we have never repeated a dish, uh, and we don't intend to. Uh, because the, it's the beer that comes first to get what they want to talk about, and then we get the menu around that. And I'm thinking from like an industry standpoint regarding the craft breweries, like I would assume that eventually the industry would shift more towards the craft brewers probably having more interest and probably taking on some responsibility regarding informing the consumer of hey, this is the best, you know, maybe the best type of dish to have with this beer. And I've kind of noticed it sometimes when I go to the store and some of the labeling woods have a recommendation as to what to pair this beer with. And so once I started noticing that, that to me was like, all right, well, this is really, really cool because it does help the consumer as well. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I think there is a lot of that going on in craft brewing now uh, because, like you say, you see it on, you see it on labels. You see, certainly see it on menus. Uh, you certainly see it on efforts of, you know, like the Brewers Association and craftbeer.com. And, you know, Adam's put a bunch of uh, great information on there in terms of some, you know, some uh, cooking and beer info. There's a lot of regular things that come out there as far as uh, food and beer pairings. But, yeah, I think that will continue to grow because it's, uh, you know, it. It's a perfect avenue for us to find ways to sell more beer. Yeah. Is to tell people what that beer goes with, and another way to make it a part of their, you know, their enjoyable meal. But you know, I like to think of that as that's that's one origin. I mean, even though it is from you know the brewer or the brewery, I mean that's one origin of what goes with it. You know, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't. You know, sometimes peek at the the bottle on the label and be like, okay, what? Are, you know, what, what? Where were they coming from on this? You know, if you see a beer that's like, you know, chicken lime pilsner or something, which there's some interesting titles out there. You know, it's kind of hard not to think about, you know, chicken uh, and lime. But um, um, anyway, yeah. Okay. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep. Um, I'm a huge fan of the smoky beers, the ones that you bring up to your nose and they smell like a campfire. I imagine you'd say that um, chocolate, graham crackers, and marshmallow would go best with them, but are there any other suggestions for those Oh, beers? this is, thank you for this unless segue. You, <laughs> yes. Unless you had a bad memory as a childhood with some So, <laughs> funny story, um, Hardywood Park, um, who is uh, out here in the supporter circle, who you can all go uh, at, right out here afterwards and ask them to, to try this. They originally did a smoked Doppelbach back in January, uh, hovering in the 9% range and uh, malty, rich, really heavy on the smoke. And so we were like, sweet, we're going to do a smoked bison short rib. We're going to do it with polenta, and we're going to do it with this juniper and rosemary sauce, and it's going to be heavy and rich, and it's going to play off the smoke, and it's going to take you back to that campfire experience like if you had meat braising in a cast iron pot. And then uh, on um, Wednesday, they called and said they needed to change the beer. <clears throat> and uh, we were like, okay, what do you got? And they were like, how about a smoked Berliner Weiss? We are like, what? <laughs> so we're going to a beer that's smoked, dropping down into the 4% alcohol range, uh, and it's sour. We're like, ooh, okay. Sweet tart sour. Sweet tart sour. He's like, yeah, imagine smoke with a sweet tart. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so they, they uh, met us uh, up here in D.C., brought a bottle of it, and we sat around a table and tasted it. And um, on, um, yeah, Thursday afternoon, um, we changed the menu, uh, got with our team here, 
occasions that does a lot of, all the food for us here said here's what we need to do here's what we need to change this to to make it work so that you can still highlight the smoke um, kind of what we were talking about at the very beginning when we work with smoked beers here we don't want to yeah wild chocolate and graham cracker and marshmallows is what you go to we want to play it off in a different way because when you do the chocolate the graham cracker and the marshmallow and you have the smoky beer the smoke hangs out in your mouth so what we did is we changed it up to a salsa verde on the dish so now if you go out there and you try it you're going to get this intense hit of smoke off the aroma, a little bit of sour, and then the dish will make the smoke disappear. Because again, we want to reset your palate for when you move to the next station there. So when we work with smoky beers, we really want to be able to have you have that awesome smoke experience, hit that remembrance of campfire, but then by the time you finish the bite, be ready to move on to the next and use things like uh, herbs, acid, mint, tarragon, uh, soft things like roasted garlic or black garlic to kind of sweeten it out a little bit and cut the smoke. Really compete on the palate to move that away so it doesn't saturate it. Yeah. Um, so that kind of goes into my question. You had to make a last minute change. I was curious about the logistics of putting together so many dishes and serving them in a facility that doesn't have a kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun one, right? Um, so, yeah. Um, we're wondering how it's going right now, by the yeah, way. Yeah, we are. We're, we're all kind of like, You know what? Uh, what we do is um, we, we start writing the menu and we look at sourcing. We look at ingredients. We look at, you know, once we get at, you know, whenever we get that menu done back in February and we look at it, we then stare at it for a little bit and we're like, okay, does it all flow? Does it all match? Is anything competing? Can we get this product in June in D.C.? Because, again, you know, with wanting to support the message that the, our brewery members in large have, which is a, a building of relationships, supporting the community, uh, really enriching and supporting small and independent companies, no matter what product they produce. We take that and put it into everything that we do. And so we look through that, and then we go with it. And then we come out here to D.C. with um, occasions, and Matt said he was going to come in here, but he didn't. Um, and he's putting out fires. He's out putting out fires out there. He's like, yeah, <laughs> no, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, but uh, we come out here and we sit down with him and his team, and we go through this and we test dishes and we think about it and we go, okay, is this executable? Is it not? What can we do? How can we change it? Here's what we were thinking. Here's what we were going for. Uh, and then we get to what we can do um, on, on the floor. And if we have to change something, here's the thing. Everything that you guys are hearing that we're doing in here right now, you never would have known if we told you. And that's the most important thing for us, is that no matter what we do, we want you to have an absolutely awesome event. We want you to have the best experience possible, and no matter what we had to go through to get there, whether it was changing a dish on a Thursday, or plating something up while something else is going on in flames, or we've got somebody driving something from the kitchen over there when we have it, because there is a team at the kitchen back at their place there waiting in case something happens. If somebody was to have a speed rack fall over, if the tray was to go down, we go through those logistics and we have it there so that every time you guys go out there to have that, you have a great experience and a great pairing. And it's, it's evolved over time. So every year, you know, we're pushing harder, but it gets easier, right? We've had occasions has been the caterer for several years now. So they know that Adam and I are going to are going to send them, you know, a list of menu items and then we're going to start hashing out like can we do this? Can we not do that? Or can we take this idea and tweak it so that it works without having to have a fryer here because we can't, you know, I mean, nothing is fried. Maybe that's healthy and good, but it's also kind of a pain because we really want to fry some stuff. But, um, you know, so it's also it's built over time, which is great because it's another one of those things that has, you know, through beer, we've built another through beer and food we built another relationship there um but yeah there's lots of he does a lot of number crunching and how many pieces per minute can you eat and all that kind of stuff so that Do we can actually that give you a challenge it's not a challenge in the back although we yeah, know probably question uh, i came in a little late but do you have brewers making perhaps a specific request for uh, uh somewhere in the neighborhood of this or that with their beer yeah, sometimes. Uh, you know, that, is, that, that, to be honest, is actually what got me into doing beer and food is the conversation you can have with a brewer. Um, some people will let us just do, some people, it's however much they want to get involved. Sometimes they'll say, I want to see this, I want to see that, or I want to see that. Sometimes we'll take it, sometimes we'll tweak it. It really depends. 
what we want to do is highlight what they want out of the beer and the flavor. And sometimes their idea works and sometimes we have something different, but we'll meet in the middle with it. But one of the best things about the relationships between chefs and brewers is the science behind what we both do is so similar. And so those conversations can have a symmetry that can get to a great dish, a great pairing that can happen there. And we always absolutely listen to anything they want. Do we always do it? No, but we try to as much as we can because we want to honor what they've spent time and energy brewing. Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm just thinking there, there's a dessert that I like called Eaton Mess. Eaton Mess, which is with uh, whipped cream and meringue and strawberries, right? So if it's kind of like if I was working with another chef and said, okay, we're going to make, you know, I want to make this dish and I'm going to whip whipped cream and, you know, you, you know, begin cutting strawberries and, and then he accidentally cuts tomatoes in, instead. I mean, the dish might look the same, but it's a very different flavor profile. So it does start, I mean, there does need to be some parallel agreements when, when we're, uh, you know, we need some direction from the brewers. You know, it's a complete open door. We might end up somewhere where we shouldn't be. Uh, good evening. Uh, do you consider the alcohol level, especially Always. if you're preparing the menu? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I did want to point out one thing, too. Um, that it, when we were talking earlier about the, uh, the savor tasting and the party that it is, um, Luke with uh, the Brewers Association was kind enough to sport a GoPro uh, and a camera and follow us around for that whole day. <laughs> so on the, on the savercraftbeer.com website, there's this little mini video that's done in high speed that shows what we do in one day. It's kind of cool to watch. We were, when we got done and we watched it, we were like, oh, wow. That was, um, but it kind of shows what we go through and where we do it at, so it's a, it's a cool little thing to watch. Yeah. What do we have time for? Like one more, half a more? One you guys want to talk about the, the dish here? How did oh, everybody sure. like this pairing? Oh, yeah. What did you guys think of pairings? Everybody's palates are still good? Yeah. Cool. And yeah so I no, just thank you so much for coming. As we mentioned earlier, this is recorded for craftbeer.com. You will be able to see it next week. A big thank you to the kitchen staff and, of course, to our panel. Steve, Steve, Chef Kyle, Chef Adam, we're going to get back out there to keep enjoying some food. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2016, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2016, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com. <laughs>